Okay, if you would please turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22. I'll be reading Luke, chapter 22, verses 54 through 62. <clears throat> then they seized him and led him away, bringing him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. Then a servant girl, seeing him as he sat in the light and looking closely at him, said, This man also was with him. But he denied it, saying, Woman, I don't know him. And a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. And after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, Certainly this man also was with him. For he too is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know what you are talking about. And immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. Father, I pray that You by Your Spirit take each of us with Peter into that courtyard around that fire feel what He felt as you gazed into His eyes. May we feel this sweet, saving, bitter, unto joyful salvation to the glory of Your name and Your cross which put away the sin of all of us who love You. Amen. You know, we may look at this passage which is one of the most familiar stories in Western civilization and think how tragic. That's there, but I want to say about that, Christian, don't do that. But this morning as you look at it, be encouraged. Every believer in Jesus should see a reflection of themselves in Peter. A reflection of the Lord's sovereign grace preserving us. As He is looking at us 
when our sin just denied Him. Again, in hearing Him through that look say, I'm here for you. Not you for me. This story of Peter's denial is recorded in all four of the Gospels in order to drive home two crucial realities. First, every Christian, including the most prominent of Christians today or throughout history, like this foundational pillar of the church, every Christian is weak and sinful. And the second truth is the greatness and the enormity of God's grace and mercy towards His people who fell. It says to those of us who are walking with the Lord in our daily lives, beware of spiritual pride. It says, take heed lest you fall. And it says to us believers who have just fallen and were on the ground, it says, there is great hope right now for forgiveness through this extraordinary grace of the Lord Jesus. And so, as we go to this portion of this night, let's kind of reflect back on who we're talking about here. Peter. We all know he's very prominent in the Gospels. No disciple speaks as much as Peter does in the four narratives we have. Gee, Peter said. And Peter said. And Peter said. Jesus addressed Peter directly more than any of the others. And Peter was the only one who felt it his duty to rebuke Jesus. Jesus spoke words of approval to Peter like He did no one else. And He was sterner with Peter like no one else. All four Gospels, when they list the twelve, they all put Peter at the front first. So let's take a real quick skim through these Gospels to get a feel again of this man. Remember, he's a fisherman and when Jesus calls him, there was that significant day. Throw your net to the side. There's no fish today, Jesus. And fish jumped into the net and Peter came and fell at Jesus' feet and said, depart from me for I am a sinful man. Follow me, Peter. A while later, twelve are on a boat in a storm in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. And they see a ghost-like figure and they're freaking out. And Jesus says, relax, it's me. And then we pick up and Peter answered Him, Lord, if it is You, command me to come to You on the water. And Jesus said, come. And so Peter got out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Save me! This is Peter. A girl died. Jesus was on the way to that town and it was too late. And then the text says, He said to them, No one is to come into the house with me except Peter and James and John and the mom and the dad. We all know that account. Who are people saying that I am? You're this prophet and you're that prophet. But who do you, my twelve, say that I am? And Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon, son of John, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What a moment. And then a few moments later, because Jesus went on to instruct His apostles, we're headed now again to Jerusalem where I will be killed. And Peter felt it his duty to correct Jesus. The text says, and Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke Him Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of this earth. He's all over the place, this Peter. You remember the Sea of Galilee? The masses loved eating this free food that Jesus fed them on the other side of the lake. And they followed Him. Figured out where He was going to land. And they were disappointed He wasn't going to feed them again. And Jesus started preaching what He was really about. Not about meeting all your physical needs in your belly, but your spirit, your salvation. And listen to what the text says. And after this, many of His disciples turned back and no longer walked with Him. And so Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go away as well? And who else? But Peter answered Him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed And we've come to know that You are the Holy One of God. Wow, it's Peter. On the Mount of Transfiguration, he, he chose his top three, Peter, James, and John. Peter's there and he makes a silly proposal. Master, it is good that we're here. Let us make three tents. One for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And Dr. Luke puts in his comment, Peter had no idea what he was saying. Like a lot of times. 
On this night in the upper room, John lets us know, before the supper, Jesus told them, I'm going to wash every one of your feet. And of course, Peter has to pop off and say, you shall never wash my feet. To which Jesus answered, if, you, if I do not wash you, you have no part with me, Peter. And Simon Peter said, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. But don't forget this as we go into our text. Jesus rose from the dead. And here's Peter's words. Lord, You know everything. You know I love You. This is the man. Peter was strong. He was a blue-collar, broad-shouldered, extroverted, loud-mouthed fisherman. And Jesus loved him. And this is good news. It is Peter's everyday man that he is that makes him such a wonderful model for all of us. Clarence McCartney summarizes Peter well saying this, quote, his impulsive deeds, his frequent questions, his eager exclamations and confessions, the, the praise and honor and rebukes that were bestowed upon him, his sometimes manly and sometimes cowardly acts, his oaths, his bitter tears, all this makes Peter the great companion and the great instructor of his fellow men and his fellow Christians. And so, as we come now again to this most crucial night in the Gospels, remember back in the upper room amidst the spiritual arrogance of the apostles as they're jockeying for the title, the greatest Messiah. And Jesus had words for them about it. And then He lovingly unmasked Peter's self confidence about his own strength and his own faithfulness. You will, before the morning comes, deny me three times. But you will repent, Peter. And to which Peter responds, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. In other words, Jesus, I've got this. Don't worry. I'm a strong man. My faithfulness to You is better than all these other guys. I'm there. And Peter was sincere. He felt it. And he meant what he said. And that's why his Savior, his friend, and his Lord had some life lessons in store for him to grow him to mature him to humble him and to teach him but even then peter's self-confidence around that table would not let jesus's words get through and so jesus has to be more direct 
before the night's over, Peter. You're going to deny me. Three times. So there's no doubt about it. Peter is a man's man. And as we saw last week in the garden, when the temple police and the leaders came to arrest Jesus, Peter didn't cower. He stepped in front and he swung his sword and risked his life. He was brave. I've got it, Jesus. Relax. They'll have to come through me to get to you. And you've got to feel there's probably something in thinking he's, at least there should be some praise for what I did. And he hears Jesus rebuke him again. Stop it. No more of this. He's got to be really confused by now. And so they apprehended Jesus. And they shackled Him. And when this happened, the Gospel of Matthew closes that section we saw last week with this line, then all the disciples left Him and fled. And there they are on the Mount of Olives hiding. And as Peter's hiding out, keeps an eye on this massive crowd with torches as it makes its way down the mountain and He follows behind as they go through the Kidron Valley and up again towards the gate of Jerusalem. And He's watching and following as they go through the streets and finally arrive at the high priest compound mansion. And one of Jesus' disciples, not an apostle, someone who knows Him and really follows Jesus, is also a good friend of the high priest, according to John, and he talks to the servant girl who's the gatekeeper about Peter, and therefore Peter gets into the courtyard. As our text says now, chapter 22 of Luke, starting with verse 54. Then, in the Garden of Gethsemane, They seized Jesus and led Him away, bringing Him into the high priest's house. And Peter was following at a distance. And when they had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat down among them. So, it's a large courtyard. Lots of the servants, the Slaves of the high priest are there, household servants, and a number of the guards, police force, that were in the garden arresting Jesus, according to Matthew, come to the house, right? And they're also there around the fire in the courtyard, and now Peter also with them because he wants to find out what's going to happen. With his master, you gotta feel what kind of confusion and dismay and fear was going through Peter the last three years as he lived with him and traveled with him and ministered with him and walked with him. Jesus was always in absolute control. And now everything is just snowballed. The, the Jewish government with police force have come and taken him away and they are interrogating him. Don't forget, unlike the others, there's bravery here. 
He did follow Him. He did put Himself in danger's way by coming into that courtyard. And then, as the fire illuminated His face, one of the high priests, slave women, who's been in and out of temple all week, she works for the high priest. Jesus has been preaching in the temple courts all week. She's seen Him. And she just, gosh, this guy's familiar. I know it. He's not just one of the crowd. This is one of those guys with Jesus. And so you pick up in verse 56. Then a servant girl, seeing Him as He sat in the light, the fire, and looking closely at Him, said, this man also was with Him. But Peter denied it, saying, Lady, I do not know Him. Got to feel it. There's guards around Him too. What if they grab me? What if, what if I get flogged? And so, Peter said, I do not know that man Jesus in there. And it was a bald-faced lie. And so as Jesus' interrogation goes on, time passes, they're talking around the campfire. You know, is Peyton Manning going to be the greatest quarterback ever if he wins the Super Bowl? Whatever they're talking about. 20 minutes or so passes and verse 58, a little later, someone else saw him and said, You also are one of them. But Peter said, Man, or Mister, I am not. So he's already denied ever knowing Jesus. And now he denies being one of them. Meaning, his disciples. In verse 59, and after an interval of about an hour, still another insisted, saying, no, no, certainly this man also was with him. For he too is a Galilean. And people have been talking, and just like if we stand right here in California and someone rich in their Texas or Georgia heritage, we can tell. Where are you about? Where are you from in the south? They knew. You're from up north. You can hear it in your accent according to Matthew. And Mark, he, he's more explicit about Peter's denial saying this, but Peter began to invoke a curse. Stick a needle in my eye if I'm lying. May God strike me dead. I don't know of whom you speak. So as he is defending himself, at that very moment, evidently, they are leading Jesus from one side of the mansion, Annas' side, 
the father-in-law of Caiaphas, through the courtyard to Caiaphas' side where he will continue to be interrogated. At that very moment while he's still speaking, Peter's internal self-disgust and anguish grew stronger because of what happened next. Verse 60. And immediately, while Peter was still speaking, I don't know him, a rooster crowed, and the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And Peter remembered the saying of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows today, you will deny me three times. And Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He left the courtyard out into the streets of Jerusalem that night and he was bawling. And what hell must have he experienced the next 20 minutes, the next three hours, throughout that night, throughout that morning, throughout that next day, as he learns the fate of his master who will then be being tortured to death. And then the following days, as his own words keep, keep shouting in his head, I don't know him! What was that like? Maybe you do know what that was like. Maybe you do know to some extent the pain that Peter felt and you know it from your own life's experience in your own walk with Jesus. Maybe through your sin which found you out, the Lord Jesus gazed at your eyes and smashed your pride in your arrogance. Jesus looked at him and it struck Peter to the heart. But, Jesus' look here was ultimately sanctifying grace. Jesus was not after ridiculing Peter. He was after molding Peter. He was after killing Peter's self-sufficiency and self-confidence. He was saving Peter. So let's contemplate this bigger picture. And I, listen to the way I'm going to say it. Cock crowed and Jesus turned in shackles and He looked at Peter. Let's contemplate what Jesus was doing for Peter. He didn't have to look at Peter at that moment. Well, Peter is still speaking in his denial. I do not know Him. What are you talking about? And he looked. He didn't have to do it. But Jesus did look at him. 
And he did it for the sake of Peter's soul. The pain that Jesus bumped up in Peter was really necessary to begin godly remorse. You remember a couple of years earlier on the beach in Galilee, He falls at Jesus' feet. Leave me! Depart from me! I'm a sinful man! And He was right. But He did not really understand the depths of His own sinfulness like He needed to. And now at this moment, Peter was stripped bare by the gaze and eye contact of the Lord Jesus. And that soul nakedness before the Savior was His road to growth, to humility. And I think something else, because we do know the end of the story and it ends wonderfully. I think that Jesus' look also meant a deep communication and connection with Peter at that moment. See, that eye contact, it spoke something from Jesus to Peter. Peter, it's happening just like I told you it would. He's not done. Hold on, Peter. Because I prophesied something more than your sinful denial of even knowing me. Peter, remember my words. Speaks to all of us. Remember this book. The Holy Word of God. Peter, remember my words. Earlier around that table, Jesus told Peter He will be sifted by Satan. But He also was very clear. You will. Repent. You will be restored and it will be granted to you from Me. Flash back to the table in verse 31. Simon, Simon, look, Satan demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when, not if, and when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. So Peter will repent and he will be filled with hope. Why? Because Jesus will rise from the dead and He will restore Peter in a way that Peter will now have something he didn't have before. He will have a capacity of strengthening other failures. And every human being throughout history who comes in touch with the reality of their denial of God and their sin and the depths of it and embrace the truth of what Peter will relay to us about Christ dying for sins, every one of them will also experience the same. Saving 
repentance. So think about it. Here's our text. This denier, this sinner will become a foundational pillar of the church in history and for eternity. Why? Peter going out and weeping, crying bitterly was godly grief. That's why. This is how later on the Apostle Paul will unpack the difference between repentant, godly, I love you Jesus, grief in sin as opposed to just grief, self-pity that leads to death. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 7, starting with verse 8, my fellow Christians in Corinth, for even if it, a letter he previously wrote to them, for even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you. Though only for a while. As it is, I rejoice in the long run, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. Because you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no ultimate loss through that grief, but a gain. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief just produces death. So, why here? He goes out and he weeps bitterly. Why did Peter have a godly grief? The answer is in our chapter. It's in the text. Because Jesus assured Peter's repentance through His prayer. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail ultimately. And when you have turned back again, strengthen your brothers. That's why Peter did not go out and hang himself as one of the other twelve did that morning. And so, believer, when you sin, turn again and again and again. And know from our text that Jesus continued through that courtyard and into Caiaphas' side of that house. And unlike Peter and us, He did not deny Himself. 
but testified, yes, I am the Son of God. And I will be sitting at the right hand of God in heaven. And he continued on through the morning, the next day, willingly being put to death by sinners. For Peter's denial that night. And for every one of our sinful denials of His Word and of His grace throughout our Christian lives. He conquered Peter's sin on the cross. And He was raised on Sunday. And in Mark's Gospel, we've got to hear it now, notice what the angel was instructed by God to say to the women at the empty tomb. But go and tell His disciples and Peter that He's going before you to Galilee and there you will see Him. Just as He told you. Jesus loves to rehabilitate His disciples. Peter's formal restoration took place on the beach at the Sea of Galilee up north according to John. Remember, after His resurrection, I don't know if we're a week in, three weeks in, or four weeks in before Jesus ascends, they, seven of these apostles are fishing and they see someone on the beach and, hey, that's, it's the Lord! And Peter just dives into the water to swim to shore and he comes up there and he notices Jesus is cooking breakfast. And so I pick up in John 21. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Feed my lambs. Jesus said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, Yes, Lord. You know that I love you. He said to him, Tend my sheep. Jesus said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. And Peter, let me tell you something. When you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. 
But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. John lets us know. This Jesus said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. After saying this, Jesus said to him, Follow Me. After this, Peter was never the same. He still fought his sinful nature. He was still a sinner. Being saved by grace, he was then indwelt and overflowed with the Holy Spirit. He would blow it in his life with his wife and his kids. He'll even blow it in ministry out of fear of professing Christian Jews from Jerusalem coming up to Antioch and say, well, I can't eat with the Gentiles anymore bacon sandwiches and pulled away until the Apostle Paul confronted him publicly for his hypocrisy. Oh, he's real. He's imperfect. But he's never the same because there was a massive blow to the kind of self Confident, pride, and arrogance. And it happened in that courtyard. Listen to the same man who left the courtyard that night bawling his head off with bitter tears. Just a measly five weeks later, he will, 140 yards inside the temple courts in front of thousands of fellow Jews proclaim, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through Him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and the foreknowledge of God. You crucified and you killed by the hands of the Gentiles. But God raised Him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible to hold Him. That man is very different. Holy Spirit tells us through the writer to the Hebrews in Hebrews 12, verse 6. For the Lord turns and looks and disciplines the one He loves and chastises every son or daughter whom He receives. Lord Jesus looks us in the eye not to ridicule us, but to develop us. He loves to wean us from our sin. He loves to wean us from our spiritual pride. 
He loves to wean us from our self-sufficiency. Do you think the Apostle Peter knew anything about that? It would be nice if 30 years later, Peter's an old man, we could ask him, you got a lesson you can teach us about this Christian life that I've just begun? I believe the Gospel you've preached to me, Peter. Something has happened to me. Could you tell me about a process? And he would say something like this to us. Yeah, let me tell you. As he reflects back around the fire in the courtyard that night. God has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead unto an inheritance that is imperishable. It's undefiled. The sovereign grace, it is there reserved in heaven for you. That is, for you who are being kept by the power of God. For Jesus prayed for you. It is a salvation that's there and it's ready to be revealed at His second coming. I'll tell you about this life that I, Peter, have and you new Gentile believers have in these truths of the Gospel. That's why you've come to believe. And you rejoice in them! Even though now, for a little while, since it is necessary, you have been grieved by all kinds of trials. There's a purpose though. And it's God's purpose. It is so that the tested genuineness of your faith. Peter, do you love me? You know I love you. He didn't say, then how could you deny me? His love was always genuine. But Jesus is working in him. It is so that the tested genuineness of your faith, which is more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire, that your faith, your relationship with Jesus may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. And Peter will go on and he will say something like this around a campfire to us. Though you Gentiles up here in Corinth, Ephesus, and throughout the Galatian region, and Asia, and Rome, though you have not seen Him like I have, 
I've seen Him. I lived with Him. I talked with Him much. I prayed with Him. I ministered with Him. I ate with Him. I've seen Him. I saw Him in His human body look at me eye to eye one night. But He rose. And you heard the message. God caused you to be born again. And so even though, unlike me, you have never seen Jesus in the flesh, not yet, He's coming back, you have never seen Him, let me tell something that's true of every one of you down through the ages who is born again by the Father, through the Spirit. You love Him like I love Him. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. And you are obtaining as the outcome of that faith, that love for Jesus. As you turn again and again and again and again and again and again and again, you are obtaining salvation. God used Peter's sin to grow him. To bring him to repentance and strength. To strengthen his brothers. In a short spiritual autobiography that I'm writing, one of the chapters, and this is a chapter that is post-new birth, is titled, My World Crumbles. And it's really a chapter about Jesus breaking me down and building parts of me and growing me. A couple hundred years ago, John Newton, a sailor, a captain of a ship, a re- oh, godless man, made his money in the slave trade by shipping human cargo from Africa to the islands the Americas. But like Jesus did one day with Peter at the Sea of Galilee, Jesus called Newton out of darkness into His marvelous light. And we do get that great hymn from Him, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I have been found. I was blind, but now I see. And he pastored a local church for years. And as an old man, he's known to have said, my memory is nearly gone. But I remember two things. One, 
that Christ, that I am a great sinner. Two, Christ is a great Savior. The Christian life is the life of every believer growing in those two facts. The longer I live, don't mishear this, The longer I live, the more aware I seem to become of my own indwelling sin. Not patterns of sinful, unrepentant life, but oh, the light seems to shine brighter. Peter's spiritual pride in our text smelled ugly. And so the Lord dealt with it. And Peter came out a deeper man. More in touch with reality. And more mature. Peter, in our text, is a gift to all of us. He is us. In God's sovereign providence, Peter was purposed to be a model for all of God's elect. He has been purposely portrayed in Scripture by the Holy Spirit as the typical Jesus-loving person who has great failures. So, embrace this picture. Embrace the picture in our text of Jesus denying Christ as a reflection of your walk in turn again and again. Repent with godly grief. Like Peter, be humbled at the Word of God. Be humbled at the words of Jesus. To whom should we go? As broken as I am, where else is there to go? You only, Lord, have the words of life. And be humbled and feel on the beach with Peter. No matter what you've done, believer, Jesus, You know I love You. Let that be your daily life. Lord Jesus, we have great confidence that You, in Your finite, mortal humanity, through a brain and through eyes like ours, glanced at Peter 2,000 years ago. And we know You're here in the presence, the person of God the Holy Spirit, for You have been raised. And so I trust 
that you will have your convicting, glancing, saving, merciful, molding way with each and every one of us as you see fit. To the good of our souls and to the glory of your name.